Welcome back to episode number 231 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're discussing building employee engagement, and we're doing that with Bill Laternis. This is part two of a two-part series on safety culture and on employee engagement that we are discussing. In last week's episode of the podcast, we talked about the end users, the operations side uh, for the individual companies. In this week's episode, we are going to talk about industry associations and those that support the end users and the operations and the consultants. We have on the episode today, again, Bill Laternis, Senior Safety Advisor for Manufacturing with BC4 Safety Council. We've had a number of groups on, including BC FSC in the past and previous episodes of the podcast, uh, specifically episode 132 with Sherry Whalen and a number of other industries and folks that are supporting them in British Columbia. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Bill has over 30 years experience in forest products operations, in working with industries and consulting and advisory roles within the sector. Uh, We covered back in episode 217, I think, of the podcast, a bunch of his experience. Last week, we talked about this idea of employee engagement and what that means, how it might be a better term than culture of safety or safety culture for employees. This week, we're diving this topic of industry associations. We're going to talk about what the role is of safety culture in associations, industry support groups, how this all come about in British Columbia to get to where things are at today, um, how to get started if a, a company, if an industry is interested in figuring this out for themselves. We might give some examples here. And how do we work together, work with regulators and the other stakeholders that are involved? So, Bill, one of the things that's really sort of unique that I've seen in British Columbia is just the level of, you know, working together with BC4 Safety Council, Woodpell Association of Canada, WorkSafe BC, the, the MAG group and, and others. You know, how much do you think a role of employee engagement and focus on this kind of safety culture aspect or even just building a culture within these associations play on that cooperation? Do you think that's sort of a contributing factor here? And, and what's that look like? Well, most definitely, uh, I think, the association that we have with industry through MAG, WPAC, and, and in the BC Forest Safety Council, we also have one called CHAG, which is the Coast Harvest Advisory Committee, and TAG, which is the Transportation Advisory you know, Group. So it's, it's very much a part of our life at the BC Forest Safety Council for the industries that we support for health and safety to have very strong relationships with uh, very focused working groups in each of the areas of forest products, harvesting and manufacturing to support them in everything that they do for health and safety. And in terms of how that plays a role in employee engagement and, and safety culture, like we talked about last week, is I think it's a critical role to have those people together setting the tone on an industry level for everything that they do, including that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And this this actually is like one of the missing pieces that I see when when we had this discussion about um, employee engagement and, and increasing safety in sites. It's in, in a way, I see BC4 Safety Council as sort of, you know, the highest level champions of this that are driving the kind of change and then also providing the capacity and the resource and the support for industries and the end users to move themselves forward. It's yeah, it's really interesting to see because it, it one it's it's effective. You and I were just discussing before the call a number of things that are you know going on recently in recent times in British Columbia, and just the speed of response that BC Four Safety Council is having to those activities. 
and preemptively going in and trying to understand and value what it means for you, what it means for your members. None of that happens without having a really tight connective tissue of, of building the sort of you know, vision together that you, that you guys have and then being able to communicate about it. How did how does this kind of come about? Like, were there some driving forces behind developing this sort of you know culture with these groups in British Columbia? Was it just luck? Like, how did how did we get here? Well, the first thing I want to say is I want to make a bit of a correction, and, and it's not the BC Forest Safety Council that is is driving this forward or or forcing it forward. We're facilitating the desires of each group. Each group, regardless of MAG, WPAC, CHAG, TAG, whatever it is we do, they own this process and they are the ones that are driving the process forward. And more than anything, an association like ours would not be successful if it wasn't for the fact that it's those industry industry participants that own and drive it forward will make it happen. Now, when you think of the start of all this, and, and I'll use MAG and WPAC as an example. First, MAG, before we had the issues in BC with the explosions and the sawmills and what prompted the combustible dust mitigation and control audit and the focus on combustible dust, there was already a small group of, I think there were six participants from sort of the bigger companies in BC in forest products manufacturing that on an informal basis would get together and in those early days, they, they made a very important commitment to share safety and not compete on safety. And I think that's the, the one thing that's written in the terms of reference that is taken to heart by everybody that participates is they don't hold back. And it's the same for WPAC. You know, they, they openly say that, and it's in their terms of reference is, is WPAC is there to share safety, not compete on safety. And so when you have an industry group, and MAG represents approximately 83% of the of the sawmills in BC, and WPAC in BC represents 100% uh, of the operations in BC, plus operations across Canada for wood pellet production. When you have these people that are driving the process forward at the industry level, you get great results. Yeah, I really couldn't agree more. And and so we have the industry user groups. That's that's MAG, WPAC, TAG, CHAG. You mentioned something here. So we don't compete on safety. Have you ever sit in on a WPAC safety meeting, which I did for, for quite a while there before my, my daughter was born and then I just had to stop attending them and I haven't got a chance to join back in. But I don't know, you must hear that phrase five times a meeting, <laughs> almost every meeting. And I think what that highlights is actually a, another piece here. It's really important. So you need the user group to be developed. You also need to start to agree on some fundamental principles, whether or not you call these mission, vision values, or, or I mean, just agreeing on, on principles, like having some of these things set in stone that are what you fall back on is really important. And I think a key one here for, from the outside looking in, from my perspective for WPAC and MAG was this, we don't compete on safety. And you see it permeate through, like we've, I've been part of working groups done by these user groups and people show up like they, the industry shows up and shows what went wrong, what challenge they had. They show pictures and videos. I mean, I've seen things in there that I, I hadn't thought of, like, you know, dryers with flame detectors in them. And, and you see the, you see the belt catch fire and then it goes right underneath the flame detector or, or the thermal probe rather. Why didn't it set off? Oh, because there's downdraft in the, 
in the the dryer that's pulling the flame and the heat away from the thermal probe. It's like, oh, that that makes sense. You know, thank you for sharing that and being open that you had, you know, you burned up that dryer because that's actually something that I've told other companies that they've now can implement. And you see this really practical sharing going on. I I think I attribute it back to this this we don't compete on safety. So we have these two kind of guides. We have industry user groups, we have principles. What would you say is the role of BC Force Safety Council? And if it's not the driving force, which it doesn't sound like it is, is it like, yeah, well, how would you define the role that BC Force Safety Council provides in, in this scope? So when I say that we're more the facilitators, is we're the ones there that sort of help gather the people together and develop resources that the, the operations or the, the groups are looking for. Uh, we are funded as the Health and Safety Association through a levy on their assessment that they pay to WorkSafe BC. And so industry funds us to be a support for industry. Now, one thing I, I forgot to mention at the beginning is for MAG especially, it, it has what's called a CEO steering committee. So every company that belongs to the MAG group, their CEOs, get together, I think it's twice a year, they review the results of what's going on, and they're the ones that are actually providing the the support and the direction in, in sort of a, a high level on where they want the group's support to go to. And I think it's an important aspect. You know, when you think about it, we've got like one of possibly the, the largest forest products manufacturing in the world, CEO, twice a year, getting together with other CEOs and they're sharing and discussing and setting direction for an industry. And to me, that's that's quite a big deal because for these people to take the time to do that in, in their busy jobs, I think really shows a commitment to what the that we share on safety message is all about, and that they can get together and do that. Yeah, it's a really good point. That's like the communication piece, right? Like if it was all, well, we're going to, we're, we're going to throw another um, party into the mix here. I'm going to bring in WorkSafeBC or the, the role of the, the regulator in a second. But if it was only the role of, of that group saying, well, here's what you need to do X, Y, and Z and not having that feedback mechanism from the user groups that are actually the driving force. And that's, that was a really good correction that you put in there. It's like they drive the change. If, if it doesn't happen that way, chances are it's not going to be effective. And it's a very high chance of, of falling apart and just not working over time, over a you know, 5, 10, 15 year period. So that steering committee meeting, that committee of CEOs of, of the companies sounds like a really effective communication pathway and, and, and also gets involvement directly from the, you know, the, the CEOs of those companies to feedback into this process. Yeah. And when I, when I say sharing, you, know, you mentioned that we're sharing incidences and we have quarterly meetings and people share what's going on and everything. It goes much deeper than that. You know, the MAG group has made the decision that uh, all of their meetings coming out of COVID are now in-person meetings. And the companies are taking turns hosting the meeting at operations. And after we have the meeting in the morning, in the afternoon, we go through a tour of the operation where we see hands-on directly live demonstrations of those things that they're doing to improve safety with the identified hazards that we have, our significant hazards. 
And so it goes beyond just talking about it or showing pictures of it. It's let's go and show you guys at the mill how this is working. And, and that's, again, a whole new level of sharing safety that to me is, is really important because it's building a very strong peer network within the group where it's okay for somebody to contact another person in the group and ask for help. And I think it happens more than even what I know it does because they, they are watching each other's backs and they're supporting each other in, in, in every aspect of health and safety. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting to see. And that's, I think it goes back to the engagement piece that you mentioned, right? Like, so we have, we have the user groups, we have the support companies, we have the, the, the regulator, and then also, you know, how, how do they all interact? So that's engagement, that's communication, that's having base principles to work from. That's um, being innovative. Like I'd call, you know, I call that an innovation, actually going from holding the meeting virtually to holding it in person so that you can have site visits sort of integrated in with that. That's a, a really, a really nice addition that can actually move everything forward. I did want to circle back. And the reason I bring up the regular side is the only other model I've seen to really... Well, I've seen a couple now over the over the last say hundred years, where there's been rapid, and by rapid I mean period of years generally, but uh, where there's been sort of you know effective approach to tackling combustible dust safety on a large scale. So some examples are the grain handling standard in the United States in the 1980s. Recently in Singapore, a few years ago, they rolled out their code of practice for combustible dust. Um, New Zealand rolled out a really nice code of practice for for combustible dust and dairy industries. So there's like there's some of these spots, and then you have you know you have your NFPA groups and VDI and, and IECA, EX sort of standards and regulations. So that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more of these actually specifically for a, a group of end users that has been effective in rolling something out. And I've always said there really needs to be three people at that table. You need to have the, the regulators there, you need to have the user group, and and I've said in the past the experts. But I think I'd actually change that to like the support group. So experts bringing in that expertise might be one part of the support group. Folks like yourself at BC4 Safety Council providing facilitation, providing support, providing that, uh, and the expert contribution, I think, is the other piece of it. And if you kind of drop any of those groups out, the whole thing doesn't work. So if you take the users out, then you're going to create something that's not helpful and that's going to be shunned in industry. If you take the regulators out of that discussion, then they're going to have a really hard challenge in moving their own agendas forward in terms of safety and you may see you know over extension of what they're trying to do or under involvement both which can can drive the impact lower and if you pull out the you know the experts or the support groups that's just the regulators and the end users they don't really have that buffer to kind of work between two questions on your end you know are these sort of the three parties that you see being involved as well and then what do you see as the role of um, worksafe bc in this group that's going on out in western out in british columbia yeah, and like a higher level. And the reason I'm asking is I'm thinking about other regions setting this sort of network up with user groups, support, and regulators. So I really want to kind of nail down what is the role of the regulator here and what can they do well that can help support this? So I, I, I haven't mentioned yet that uh, we have something at the BC Forest Safety Council. It's a, an umbrella term. We call it the Forest Industry Forum. And... So for all of the groups, you know, MAG, CHAG, all the rest, we have a very close connection of all three, the BC Forest Safety Council, the industry group, and WorkSafe BC. 
And, you know, for the example of um, manufacturing, manufacturing meets on a quarterly basis uh, with works, various departments of WorkSafe BC. Included in that meeting, these are in-person meetings, included in that meeting is uh, representatives from MAG, WPAC, Labor, and Pulp and Paper. And essentially the quarterly meeting is an, a safe area for both groups to have frank discussions and safe discussions on what do we need to do to fix this issue. And it's a little bit different than a company going to a regulator and saying, we don't like this, or the regulator coming back and saying to, to an operator, uh, we don't like what you're doing. You know, we're, the issues that we're dealing with are on an industry scale. And, you know, a good example with the, with the recent uh, combustible dust proposed regulation changes, you know, we were part of the pre-consultation because of our connection with WorkSafe BC within the regulatory changes that take place, because that's one of the agenda items that we talk about at each meeting is what regulations are, are in review, uh, where do we fit in? Yes, we got our hands up to be in pre-consultation for those. So, and WorkSafe BC is, is very willing to provide us with the information they're able to on the various things that are happening. And it also is very willing to listen to industry when they come to them with issues. And we've gone to them with issues and they've reacted to that and made changes. And that's not, I'm not talking about direct regulation. I'm just talking about sometimes the relationship of an officer when they go out on site. So it is a very important part. And like you say, they're all three groups I feel are are working closely together with the ultimate goal of let's have less injuries in our industry. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You see some, you know, sort of simple things that come out of that, but that are, I think, probably pretty profound for the industry. Like one that I've heard that's been relayed to me in the past was the regulator sending out a, you know, a different inspector every time to inspect the site. And the inspector sort of having, you know, slightly different approaches to how they might audit a site, what they might see as deficiencies. And, and if the industry is able to communicate back up to, hey, you know, could we train one group of inspectors and always send the same person so that we start to develop that relationship? three, four or five years down the road, you're in a much better place because then you have the industry working with the regulators, working with the inspectors, where that type of feedback, if you didn't have the communication that was open, you, you know, then they're probably just grumbling and saying, ah, I can't, you know, <laughs> it can't, can't work together. Have you seen any examples of that, of how this communication has really had pointy end of the stick impacts to, to improve how the groups work together? Oh yeah, we've had some pretty significant improvements in um, the collaboration with officers when they go to sites now. I think it came about because of the industry's frustration that it seemed like officers were a little bit heavy handed and not necessarily paying attention to what was going on at the operation and their efforts to fix issues. And so by voicing our concerns in those areas, we were able to get them to understand that yes, we are working as an industry and as an operation to, to fix our issues. But they, we, we wanted to be able to communicate that when officers came out to the site in a better way. And sometimes that means when you come out to a site, you don't just immediately walk out through the operation with somebody and start inspecting. Maybe you need to stop off and spend uh, 15 minutes or 20 minutes and, and take a look at some of what's 
taking place out there before you head out. Yeah. You know, because it's it's all about communication. It's all about knowledge and and understanding that, oh yeah, okay. I might see that it's not working yet, but they've given me these plans of things that they're doing to fix it. And that could, yeah, that can only happen if if the communications happen before, during, and after, you know, that that um that audit process or that inspection period. Yeah. I pulled out a bunch of things here. Like I'm sort of making a list of of things that are important here. So we have establishing working groups, establishing support organizations, um, keeping a relationship with the the regulator where communication is effective. We have quarterly, you know, meetings, we have communication forums. Um, you mentioned funding, you know, if you're going to have the support groups, you need the funding mechanisms in place to make sure that's going to occur so that they can then provide those capacity and resources. Um, I'm wondering, like planning wise, I want to pull out some other nuts and bolts things that that really have improved how the, the folks in British Columbia have done this. One that I've seen from the WPAC end are, are these annual work plans. Do you see that all the, the user groups are doing these annual work plans and what kind of role more like high level, what kind of role does planning of the individual groups and then together and planning as a as a as a collective have for for the progress that you guys make? Well for all the 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 groups there we put together three year work plans. And so we're actually just at the point where we're doing a review at our next quarterly meeting for MAG on uh, our three-year work plan is sort of coming to an end. We're taking a look at the actions that we, we set out to do. What have we achieved? What's still on the books? Do we carry things forward? And what do we want to do for the future three years? And I, I think having a formalized action plan for the group provides structure when you get together as opposed to just reacting all the time. I think if you're if you have things that you've got your eyes set on and, and you, you're working towards a common goal as a group, it's a lot easier to get working groups together or the resources to, to maybe do bow tie risk analysis on high risk items. And it's the same for WPAC, you know, the, we we're putting together annual and, and longer term working plans. And these are separate from the working plans, but very similar to the working plans that we do for the regulator. And because of our funding, we have to we have to put the plans together every year on the funds that we're getting and how we're spending that money. And then they keep us on track to make sure that that's what we're doing. So having a plan and a direction, I think, is a really important part of all this. Yeah, like, I think that's really helpful. And it's, it's good to note that our sort of different views, different frames that are going to be needed for the different groups. And that's, that's important, right? Because if you had, say, if you, say if you create one plan that applied to MAG and, and CHAG and TAG and WPAC, <laughs> and it's a, it, it would actually apply to none, none of them, right? Because yeah. it'd be too, too general. And same if you had a plan that applied both to work safe side of things and to the, the user group side of things. I, again, it's good to have those, a shared vision, but the, the routes taken to get there are, are you know, totally different. The challenges are going to come up and the concerns. One thing, another thing I want to point out here was, was meetings in general. And I don't know if, if this was a one person that made the meetings run well with WPAC or if it was, you know, a collective or if you guys have a template or a framework that is typically used, but I just found like those meetings were extremely efficient. <laughs> Whereas like, here's what we talked about last time. Here are the open ticket items. Here's what we're going to discuss today. We sent out beforehand. We discuss it, tackle action items, create new action items, define responsibility, 
um, just find due dates and then repeat the cycle in the next meeting. <laughs> and it just seemed to flow quite nicely to keep things organized against the plan as the backdrop. Is there some things that you've seen in, in working with end users and how to run these meetings in a way that that is effective and that's not kind of getting lost in the weeds all the time? We actually made a, a little bit of a, a change to the WPAC meetings. Um, we were getting the feeling that what we call the, the group project level, which is a smaller group that gets together bi-weekly, that we were doing too much of the talking in industry or the people that were participating in the meetings weren't providing enough input during the meetings. So we've shifted a little bit and we're putting more focus at the beginning of the meeting on it's an open forum for people to share things. And we, we do that in MAG as well. And it's actually, when you talk to the, the people that go there, it's their favorite time of the meetings where is where somebody stands up and says, this has happened and this is what I did to fix it. And it worked great. Or this is what I did to fix it. And it's still not working very well. But can anybody help me with it? So we're hoping to generate more shares from the participants at the beginning of the meeting instead of just one person and having a safety share at the end. Yep. And it, it does leave a little bit less time to report back on the projects that we're doing, but we're also providing documentation in the meeting package that explains where we're at with our projects. So uh, we, we felt it uh, was important to, to get the people that participated in the meeting speaking more during the meetings. More than anything, it, it's the industry group that owns the process, not the BC Forest Safety Council. And, and so we need to we need to have people providing that input during the meetings so that we know whether things are working or not, or whether we have to change what we're doing or provide different resources. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think the like the highest level point is that it's always going to be work in progress, and that improvements you know are going to be may need to be made over time there's all kinds of things that you can try to do right like i've certainly run a fair share in my own meetings where it's turned into a bit of an echo chamber where you you know you get up there and you're 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 talking through the points and it's like ah you know you can't get engagement you can't get um that that input there's there's a range of different things you can try to do to improve that um i, I like the idea of a free form sharing session at the front end to kind of get people going you can also make people submit material beforehand which is a nice way to to um, yeah, ensure that they've actually thought about it before showing up to the meeting. So they're not generating their ideas on the fly. You get a little more helpful content that way sometimes. So there's like a bunch of tools you can try to apply. But for what it's worth, when I was involved in the meetings, they seemed to be pretty active. This is a few years ago. Yeah, it's good to also see that you guys are making some improvements there. What else? I mean, we talked about a whole host of nuts and bolts things from meetings to plans to communication channels. What is missing that we haven't talked about yet that you think makes things tick? Well, one of the, the great things about the WPAC meetings is uh, in all the other association meetings, uh, it's limited to the actual producers. And in WPAC, they've opened it up to really anybody who wants to participate. So we have we have equipment suppliers, we have consultants, uh, we, have, we have somebody like yourself that used to participate. Uh, we have researchers from UBC that participate. And I think it adds another dimension to the support that's available during the meetings when you have somebody uh, from an equipment supplier for deflagration isolation equipment being able to sort of have an, an ability to tell the group 
this is something new that's out that maybe you guys should be considering that can maybe help you with uh, your deflagration isolation. And it, it just adds a whole nother dimension. And when we had our working group together uh, for the belt dryer safety process that we went through, we had quite a few equipment suppliers participate in that process. And it was quite incredible the amount that they were willing to share and support to make drying wood fiber on a belt safer and have fewer fires. It was just amazing yeah. that level of support that was there. Well, that's, a, that's the power of a group, right? A group, a diverse group of people that have different experiences. Um, they may see something that's, that they've implemented on in you know a, a food or feed facility that really applies to the type of facilities that we're, we're doing the belt dryer project and without bringing that external viewpoint and you'll, you'll never kind of know, right? You're limited to the expertise of the group. So if you, if it's not an open form and an open form is not always the best too, like you can have other viewpoints come in that, that muddy the water that make things more confusing, but geez, if you don't, if you don't open up, you'll never know if you get that problem <laughs> and you're, you're probably missing out on some potential benefits of having it be an open form as well. Uh, I also like some of the outcomes. I mean, Things like the safety shares that get published through BC4 Safety Council, um, those documents are extremely valuable. We've done a number of podcast episodes on them. Most recently on a on a, a flash fire while cleaning over a over a um, not a dryer but a furnace um, that was was released, and, and we just try to share those out because they're so so valuable as learning mechanisms for people inside British Columbia and, and inside every other part of the world that are handling these materials to, to be able to share. Oh yeah. Like literally the, the week before I got that, somebody emailed me about examples, like really specific examples of cleaning using blowdown and causing a deflagration. It's like, Oh, well here's, here's a safety share from last week. And you, you don't know how much that's, that's so much more powerful than, saying, well, here's a report from 1972. <laughs> That's, and even if the report's yeah. like, great, you know, it's like 300 pages and very detailed. It will have not near as impact as much impact because of just recency bias uh, that, hey, here's something that happened last week to a worker has at the end of the day. So those type of work products that come out of that, the working groups, I, I find tremendously valuable for the industry. Yeah, for manufacturing, our safety shares are a value, valuable addition to the support that we provide. And we take we take incidents from anywhere and everywhere. And we've had people outside of BC, outside of Canada that have shared stuff with us. And we sanitize it so you can't identify the operation that it came from. And, and I think when you when you start to think on a scale like that, that you can it's safe to share an incident that you got learnings from or it can help somebody else avoid having this. Now we're talking about making it safer for everybody, and, and it's it's not just the people that belong to the group. The BC Forest Safety Council has a very good sort of focus in that industry industry groups who are funding supports us producing resources that get shared out for free to anybody that wants them. Uh, our our recent. Uh, sawmill supervisor modules that we put out to support the industry in BC, six modules there. We've had people from all sorts of industries, even school districts that, that sign up for that and take those. And also people from outside BC and outside Canada that have taken those courses. 
and, and you know, I think this is when you when you think of the groups here and and there, we share safety. We don't compete on safety. That's that's really, I think, when you when you look at the ability to share the resources that you created for your own industry to make it safer beyond the borders of your province, beyond the borders of your group, beyond the borders of the country. I wish there was more of that because collectively as a whole, I think we can do some really great work reducing injuries in the workplace. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's like, it's so easy to, especially for combustible dust where you may only experience a handful of incidents in your working career, um, or you may experience none, or you or you may experience multiple you know, a month, depending on what, what site you're at and what the, what the risks are. But in, in either case, you know, if you have multiple a month, then it might, it might already be obvious. But if you're only having one a year, one a career, one a decade, there's a real chance that you are going to downplay it that it's never going to happen to you. It's the most common thing you hear, right? And the, the point is that if you can illustrate that somebody else using the exact same material in the exact same way um, had an incident last week that did or could have caused serious injury, it's just really powerful because then they could put themselves in those that person's shoes. Um, I can't blame them for reducing in their mind the risk of something that they've only seen once or twice in their lifetime. I mean, I do the same thing. You see a child's toy on top of the stairs and you see it a second time, third time, but the fourth time you see it, you've, you've eliminated that risk from your head and you don't even see it anymore. It just sits there on the stairs until somebody steps on it. That's just normalization of risk. That's a normal biological response. But when you realize that, oh, this actually does happen, um, and it happens quite frequently when you make your scope bigger than just what happens in the room that I work in, then, yeah, that, that sense of vulnerability, although I don't like using it, the term that way, but that sort of goes up. And then you start thinking and, and trying to understand, okay, well, how can I prevent that from happening here? And that doesn't happen at all if we don't share. And it happens exceptionally better if we're able to, to share. So like people reach out to us through our help desk and say, you know, is whatever soybean combustible dust? It's like, well, here's, here's the last three explosions we have this year <laughs> and, and, and short ones in Taiwan and ones in um, Latin America and ones in Canada and you might be the United States. But, you know, does this equipment look like your equipment? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do you think the dust that you generate is any different than the dust that's here? Okay, well then here here we are. It's a, you know it's a potential at your site to be able to have this happen. Um, so yeah, so I I also second the importance of sharing this information really broadly as well. Yeah. yeah, and and you guys do such a good job of that at Dust Safety Science. There's so many times I'm sitting down with a safety support person in a sawmill and say, hey, do you subscribe to Dust Safety Science? Here's the link. You really need to do that, you know, because I think a lot of people don't know what they don't know. And so we got to get the message out there, and I'm not just talking about dust safety science, but we got to get the we got to get the message out there on the solutions to our issues. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm just pulling up. Um, I highly encourage folks to go to bcforestsafe.org, which is the BC Forest Safety Council website. Both the resources tab and the training tab there have a lot of material. Um, I went to training webinars and workshops, and I see pre-recorded webinars on deflagration isolation wood pellet production, like everything, SIFT-P, <laughs> serious incident uh, fatality prevention. There's a whole whack, and I'm not even finding the best ones here, but I know you have a whole number of, of work products that have been created by work safety, by um, BC Forest Safety Council, rather, that are published as resources and training on this website. The combustible gases training that was done, the, the belt dryer project in general, 
the combustible dust auditing processes that we had discussed in the podcast for this whole whack of really great materials and resources. Very commonly send people that are in facilities handling combustible wood dust to this this page. And I like the new website, by the way, as well. It's uh it's it's a little easier to get around, I think, than some of the, than the older website might have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also want to mention that WPAC has has a very large library of resources on their website for combustible dust mitigation and control. You know, some of the stuff we have matches what they have, but they, they're really, uh, in terms of the support and the things that have been developed specifically for wood pellet production and combustible dust, it, it resides there and it's really a great website to go to as well. Yeah, and that's at pellet.org. And we'll, we'll grab the links for both those and put them in the show notes for folks. Yeah, and that's just an example of, of how we try to share as best we can everything that we're doing. Yep, couldn't agree more. Um, okay, well, I think we're getting close to closing off this episode on associations and industry support groups, how they can combine together to increase engagement in the industries they're supporting and have a really effective way to tackle projects and challenges together. Um, any final words you want to leave people off on on this idea, this thought concept of safety culture, employee engagement, top to bottom, in companies, outside of companies? Anything else you want to say, Bill, before we close out? I'll say what I've said probably before in other podcasts. You're not on your own. You know, don't try to attempt to do this without taking a look at what's already out there or seeking help. I get calls from people all the time. Hey, you know, can can you point me in the right direction to get this resource or or some help with this? And, and that's what our function is: is is to help point people in a direction or provide them with resources or or you know. Maybe we say, well, no, we don't have anything, but maybe we should look at that to develop a support for that. So uh, don't hesitate to to contact people around you and internationally to, to get support. Couldn't agree more. And we will have a um, way to, to contact Bill in the show notes for this episode, dustsafescience.com slash 231 for um, the show notes. And then we'll have his contact information. You can always email myself, chris at dustsafescience.com. Uh, we have a whole help desk process that we just, we, we get questions and provide answers um, all day, every day, multiple times a week, hundreds and hundreds of questions that come in. So yeah, if you're stuck, if you don't know what to do, if you're anywhere from here to Zimbabwe to Australia, chances are we've come across to before. If it's wood and combustible wood products related or you're close to British Columbia or in Canada, Bill would be an excellent resource. The other folks at BC Forest Safety Council as well. And, and certainly if you're doing anything else in combustible dust, we're happy to help as well. So we'll leave it off at that, Bill. I want to say thank you again for, I think, the third time on the podcast. And more importantly, thank you for the work that you're doing out there in British Columbia. I know you have a, a personal mission to, to drive safety in these industries. They have a really personal connection tie there. And I just want to say it shows. <laughs> um, it shows for the work that you put in. So, so thank you for that. Thank you, Chris. No, it's, uh, it's the most fulfilling uh, job I've had in my career. Yeah, it, like I said, that's all I can say is it, it shows with the work you do. Um, we appreciate it. I'm sure this won't be the last time we have you on the podcast. So even listen to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Bill Laternis, Senior Safety Advisor for Manufacturing at BC Forest Safety Council. We've been talking about this concept of building an um, engaged uh, employees, building a culture of safety. And we've done this on these last two podcast episodes, talking through lessons learned at the company level and talking through lessons learned at the association industry support level. Today, we talked on the second piece, um, how to 
really build a framework around an industry that's able to support them in their combustible dust safety journey. We talk about the roles of different groups involved, um, the industry user groups really driving the process. So these are the, the champions or the groups from industry that bring their perspective into play. We talk about the role of support organizations that bring expertise, facilitation, other support activities into that. And that's kind of the, the part that BC4 Safety Council fits into as a you know a health and safety organization there. Uh, we also talked about the role of the the regulator, in this case, WorkSafe BC. And then we there's also some other groups that we didn't talk about as much, but they probably play a really important role as well, like labor unions and, and other groups. Um, but those are sort of the people that should be at the table in the discussions here. What we tried to outline was really what kind of tools, thought processes, resources would you need to have an effective user group moving forward. Um, I didn't really bring up in the podcast, but I had a recent group reach out um, looking to establish a, a user group, in particular, this is a coal users group um, in a particular region of the world that had suffered large explosions recently. And they said they wanted to get that maybe 10 sites um, that worked in that country, uh, 10 like individual companies, and they wanted to get together, create a users group that they could um, understand and address combustible dust hazards and, and other hazards that they're facing at their sites. And that's one of the really re reasons I reached out to Bill because I wanted to talk and try to pull out as much material as I could from how it's working in British Columbia to then reply to this group and say, yep, this is the things you need. You need the user group. You need the buy-in. You need to realize that you're going to need financial assistance for support and facilitation. Um, and, and then a bunch of nuts and bolts of stuff that we pulled out from this discussion here today. Things like you know, quarterly on-site meetings, quarterly meetings in general, annual work plans, um, effective meeting frequencies, working on discussing in a way and tracking things so that they're actually getting done, um, making sure that there is a, a focus on developing. Like, the, the, worst thing I, the worst thing I've seen happen with this type of group is you, you get the group together, everyone gets in the room, then you just, you just go and people start dumping all this ideas and thoughts and things. Like you should start at a higher level, <laughs> agree on some principles that you're going to work from first, agree on a common goal that you're going to try to work towards things like we don't compete on safety, maybe being a principle and pull those in, in that first discussion before you start just brain dumping all the trials and tribulations and challenges you have in your day-to-day -day job, bring it to the table. Cause then you can actually evaluate, does that challenge go towards the mission that we're trying to achieve? And if it's not, then we're going to back burner that for now and just focus on the subset that do. Um, so those were a bunch of things that came out of the discussion. I do want to say thank you again to Bill for coming on the podcast. I encourage you to go to BC4 Safety Council's website, which is at BCFC, nope, it's at bc4safe.org and Woodpell Association of Canada's website, which is at pellet.org as well, um, to visit the MAG group and the other groups that are out there in British Columbia are making a difference every day. So I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And thank you for everything you're doing. And she's handling combustible dust, making it safer with the work that you do. Mm -hmm.